Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat. You're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Tuesday, February 2nd. My name is Jake Luke. I'm joined by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz with a uh, great head of hair going there uh, on my screen. We're coming to you guys on a Tuesday because we had a little bit of an interview scheduled. It was an awesome interview that we just wrapped up with Sarah Ellison, former employee of the Baltimore Ravens, uh, as Spencer puts on some heart sunglasses with a very Elton John type feel. Uh, We just wrapped it literally a second ago. It's a great, great interview. You guys are really going to enjoy it. But of course, we uh, (laughs) before we jump into that, those sunglasses are really throwing me off. Before we jump into that, (laughs) before we jump into that, uh, we've had uh, a couple bits of news that we did want to touch on first thing. Uh, was coming out from uh, this past weekend, I believe, was it, that uh, Mr. Orlando Brown Jr., he sent out a little bit of a tweet. He got a little active on the social medias talking about how he is, in fact, a left tackle. The tweet uh, in question uh, was that I am a left, all caps, tackle, Orlando Brown Jr. You, did you, I can't think of the exact wording that you used. The last time we recorded, if I'm not mistaken, you just talked about how, how basically Orlando Brown is like the most vivacious. It's a spectacle. It's always a spectacle. Yes. He is like a walking, I don't want to say circus, but like a walking entertainment show. Like he always has the pizzazz and the flair. And of course, in four words, I'm a left tackle. Devastates Ravens, the Ravens fandom, sends shockwaves through. Jason Lockham Forrest tweeting his freaking thumbs off. Like, yeah, well, he's he's giving me like, I can't really see him being all the Ravens here this coming season. He's going to be trading. You know, I just think that, uh, you know, Matt Castle or whatever, Chad Henney has a better chance of being the MVP of the Super Bowl. Oh, man. JLC. And then, of course, like the whenever he like puts a take out there, it's always like the resound, like the next tidal wave of like, "Eh, let's wait a minute here. The well, we shall see. We shall see. He's been very good lately. Yeah, to uh, to his credit, he has nailed uh, a lot of stuff recently. But uh, you know, last like, eighteen months, twenty four months, I'd say, versus like three to five years ago, where he was just a loose cannon. 
I'm guessing uh, whoever was maybe sourcing him during those days may have left the uh, the organization. But or he, he's also like doing the one of five seven things. Maybe he's just a little more in the in the mix now. But ultimately, you know, what, what is to be done? Uh, and we talk with Sarah. We have a, a conversation with Sarah about that situation. We get into that just lightly as kind of a sidecar on a different topic. But ultimately. What do you do? The Ravens, they're touted as this honest franchise. You know, it feels like they're pretty transparent with their players. And Eric Weddle, you know, countless guys have mentioned that and why they wanted to come play for the Ravens, why they are happy that they did, all kinds of things. So they're going to have a conversation. It feels like they're going to have a conversation, Eric DaCosta, uh, John Harbaugh, whoever else. And can, can the you know, what do you want? Do you want to play left tackle? Do you want to play on the left side? Or do you want to be paid like one? Because if you want to, play on the left side, you can't hear. So he's not going to be a Raven. Is he going to sit out? That's the question that spurs from that. Or does he just want to be paid like a left tackle? Does he want to be respected like one? I don't know. He tweeted four words. They could be this, that, or the other. Apparently he went on Matt Judon's. Yeah. Uh, what I don't even know what happened. Judon did like a Instagram live. Yeah. So Judon did like an Instagram live thing. I think in lieu of like the pro bowl, they were doing that kind of stuff. He had like a ton of different players on there. I think he went on there and like, this is something we were talking about. I think with Voss where it's like, it's not just that he wants to be paid like that. Yeah, it sounds like he may actually want to play that position. And I didn't see the footage or hear the audio, but I think that is what he was saying on Judon's thing. Well, then it is what it is. He's not hitting free agency. I I would think that the last thing Eric DaCosta and the Ravens front office would do would be to let him walk and get a third round comp pick when you can get more. Um, if he's not willing to play this year, then going to have to trade him before the draft uh that is a possibility then if he isn't is like i'm willing to sit out i want to be paid right now i want to go somewhere and play left tackle whatever then you're getting traded because ronnie stanley's coming back and it is what it is so if he wants to be paid like one i think that's possible i'd give that a you know a solid 50 50 it feels like the ravens might be willing to open the old change purse or bust out the checkbook and pay him quite handsomely but if he just wants to put his right foot forward and his left foot back instead of his left foot forward and his right foot back, then it's going to have to happen elsewhere. And I mean, it might be sick for draft content if the Ravens trade him and get like a first or a second and a third or something of the sort. I would think a first would be pretty reasonable to get a pretty good, young, durable left tackle. I would think that it would start with a first. Uh, Tunsil obviously got a second and two firsts. So I would think maybe a first and a third would be a reasonable, logical haul for a capable left tackle that is still has one more year of control. Uh, I don't know. It's a tough situation really sucks because though, like when we get into it with Sarah and, and talking about a bunch of different things, but the Ravens offense is so young and he's one of their founda- foundational players. It feels like on offense and someone that is proven productive, durable, uh, working out well and it just you know if he has to be traded that really stinks and getting those picks would be cool it'd be great for us for draft content and great talking points and things like that but one in the hand is worth two is better than two in the bush as they say and you've got one in your hand with orlando brown that can do what you need him to and he's been doing it at a pretty decently high level and it's tough tough situation and it just like feels so stupid it's not quite the earl thomas situation from last off season but it's just like the Ravens news cycle never freaking stops and it's not all bad and it's not all good, but holy shit. Like 
as soon as the season's over and like it's like you know dwindling week for teams that are not in the Super Bowl and like the it's not really draft season yet the Senior Bowl happened but like that time comes after the Super Bowl and free agency and all those things and it's like oh my God here we have this little piece of dynamite that goes boom out of nowhere and it's just nuts. Yeah, the way I look at it is like he's maybe letting perfect be the enemy of good a little bit. And like, I think this situation that he's in right now is more than good. Like, it's perfect pretty much right now. Like, you got drafted to the team that your dad played for. And like, you obviously don't want to make too much of that. But like you said on the last pod, like, he was the one who made a big deal about how it was destiny for him to wind up here and like all that kind of stuff. And that's Go watch cool. Baldi's Breakdown, Orlando Brown on Game Pass if you have it. It might be free. I don't, I'm not sure how the Baldi Breakdown things work. But he says the word destiny like six times in 15 minutes about playing for the Ravens. And minds can change. And he's a young dude. And like I said, it's always a spectacle. He's very flashy. He likes to kind of be the center of attention, which is like not really a bad thing. I don't think I like that about him. But like if he wants to like go to. I like I don't even know where he Carolina. would go. Carolina to be like a left tackle like that's fine. But like I don't like you're going to a team with Matt Rule, who is undecided at quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be there. Maybe they make, make a big play for Deshaun Watson. But if he wants to do that, and like you said, if they can get a first-round pick for him, I'm kind of for it. Because like you take that first-round pick, you maybe acquire a good center with some of your draft capital or something like that, or maybe like an interior lineman. You bring back, you know, Fluker. You bring back Phillips. Andre Smith maybe is going to be in the picture. You've got maybe something decent there at right tackle. Uh, to kind of replace him and you know you keep attacking the interior o-line and he's maybe going to give you that war chest that you need to do so and then also to address the receiver position so I think the Ravens are, are in a unique spot where it would definitely hurt to lose him but like judging by what you could get back and the fact that he is a right tackle and again I am not for trading him I would probably prefer to keep him but like I I don't know it just doesn't feel like a really a lose-lose scenario for any party because they have Ronnie Stanley yeah I mean that's but what at it, the same time the tough part is like the offensive line is already an issue. It was the first thing that Harbaugh addressed in his, you know, postseason presser and, or his season wrap-up presser, whatever you want to call it. And then it's just like your offensive line already needs improvement, and now you're just knocking it down and taking the second-best player from it. And then you're like, all right, well, the offensive line is going to have to have a complete – basically a complete makeover if you ship Orlando Brown. It just kind of feels like it's really not up to the Ravens, I guess, if he – isn't going to play if he's going to sit out and whatever, then it's not up to them. And they are in a Super Bowl window, so they can't, uh, he can't just sit there. He's got to get traded, um, which ties their hand, I guess, a little bit. But same time, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of the, not a big supply of those tackles. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the Watson situation in that regard, where it's like the player has plenty of leverage and can pretty much do what he wants. But like, you got to make a decision, bud. Like, we're not going to sit around here forever and wait for you. We need to get our plans together. We need to get whatever capital we're going to need to get if we're going to be moving on. So we'll see what the Ravens are in a Super Bowl window. And he was a big part of that. Him and Mark Andrews being cheap this year was supposed to be like the godsend that you have two highly productive, cheap offensive players. One of them at a skill position and one of them at a a premium position in tackle. And that's like, just if it didn't happen, that'd be really cool. If, if that wasn't the case, it would be sick that that didn't happen. And it also, it wouldn't shock me if this is him, just like him and his agent kind of getting together and like making a big play to just get his money and get it right now. And that would be totally fine too. And he's like, okay with playing right tackle. And it's just all a farce. That would be fine. I mean, it, it kind of is maybe what it is. Leverage. Maybe they're using his leverage in negotiations. Who it's part, knows? It's part of, you know, it's part of the game and you can't criticize players for doing that. If you know, the organizations are just going to kind of, you know, willy nilly cut guys here and there. I I totally get it. So it's all fine. But I think we've said our piece on that. 
The other piece of news, interesting one, not really Ravens related, but I feel like we should maybe cover it, is the uh, trade that went down between the Detroit Lions and the Los Angeles Rams. Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. And uh, let me pull up the uh, terms here. So per ESPN, the Lions will receive a third-round pick in 2021, a first-round pick in 2022, and a first-round pick in 2023 in what is the first exchange of former number one overall picks in the common draft era since 1967. The deal cannot be made official until it started in the new league year on March 17th. That doesn't matter. They've already kind of been talking about it. And, of course, Jared Goff going across in that deal as well. It does uh, impact the Ravens a little bit because they're going to play Jared Goff. And I believe... Yeah, good point. I believe if the 17th game is added because the Ram... Wait, no, the Rams finished. For some reason, I think I saw or read that the Ravens would play the Rams if the 17th game is added because it's an interconference game. Interesting. And uh, I don't know. That might not be accurate, so don't quote me on that one. But I've read it, and I can't remember the logic. I don't know. Like, I don't. Who would even know at this point, right? Because I think it's supposed to be the third place finisher. Did the Rams finish in third place? No, they no, they were second. second right? Yeah. Yep. Second 49ers didn't make it. Cardinals didn't make Browns, it. What am I talking about? Yeah. Okay. That's what it would be. It would be the NFC West and the AFC North would play like the Steelers would play the uh, Seahawks and so on and so forth. The Browns and the Cardinals or the Bengals and the Cardinals would play. Um, so maybe the both ways there, but for me, again, as we just said, it's kind of nice having the player that you, you want in having that above draft picks, I would, you know, prefer to have Orlando Brown over that. I would prefer to have Matt Stafford and the quarterback, the guy uh, that I want over those draft picks. I listen, I would recommend listening to Les Snead, the Rams general manager on Move the Sticks. Great hair on that guy. Great hair on that guy, an Alabama boy. Uh, I think it was about October, perhaps. September, he was on Move the Sticks. But anyway, basically he was kind of just saying that he personally feels and, and his staff is of the philosophy that first round picks are slightly overvalued in terms of, you know, hit rate and, and what you can do in the second and third round. He thinks that it's a little disproportionate and that they feel confident in the success that they can have in the middle rounds, which they have had. And then the sheer fact that, I mean, the Rams had an elite defense, but that's probably going to regress. That's a whole other conversation, but that's probably going to regress a little bit. And, your offense is feeling like it's not going to take a step forward, especially considering that Jared Goff did have his thumb issue, but McVay, you know, Jared Goff goes, yeah, I'm healthy. I'm ready to play. And McVay was like, mm, yeah, we'll go with Walford. Uh, it kind of felt like more of a benching than, than anything else and couldn't get the job done against Aaron Rodgers. And uh, it, it just, when things don't go right for Jared Goff in the pocket, it's not pretty. Uh, I think Matt Stafford has been able to, I think I saw the PFF grade on Stafford and was like, under pressure was like similar to golf, but the quarterback ratings are completely different. Matt Stafford is like one of the better or best quarterbacks in the NFL under pressure. Jared Goff can't Stafford has had no play action, but when he does use play action, he's among the best quarterbacks in football. The Rams are essentially the number one play action team under McVay since McVay took over in the NFL. So you just have to think that it's going to take that team and help offset the loss of Brandon Staley and some guys defensively and uh, the lions. Sure. They're rebuilding. So, go get those picks. But the big, I feel like the biggest thing is that the Rams want to capitalize on that stadium and that market and solidifying their presence in LA. And if they can go win or get to another Super Bowl or something in LA, in that stadium, it feels like they'll take over LA above the chargers for a while and really lay down the law. So I think they're trying to go all in continuously and just really interesting trade. I think it's great for the lions 
Stafford was done there. They're not at a point to give him support. They have a new coaching staff that feels like it might be a bridge coaching staff and get those picks, rebuild, get some cheap players, figure out what your identity is going to be moving forward and see what you can do. So, you know, I don't hate it for either team. I like it a lot for the Rams. I honestly think the litmus test of if you're a competent football fan is, do you think is if someone asked, your response to the question, is Matt Stafford that much better to Jared, than Jared Goff, is a football litmus test to me. And if your answer is no, then get out. I, I don't even see how you can compare Matt Stafford and Jared Goff playing in complete – so many words I could give on it, but I just think that Stafford is endlessly better. Then Jared Goff and gives the Rams a real chance. Yeah, Rams don't have to worry about the Chargers at this point. The Chargers have like literally nothing going on, you know, other than like Herbert. Maybe he brought in some fans, but I think they're gunning for the Lakers and the Dodgers. And uh, I like this trade a lot too. You know, I love me some Sean McVay. What he did with Jared Goff, who I think is like perfectly fine, but like definitely pretty limited. And I think that showed up in big moments. There were stretches of play where he just he would just shut down for reasons like that I can't really understand, but like. Just not a guy who's really going to inspire you to take it over the top. He looked pretty good in that playoff run to the Super Bowl, but then you get to the Super Bowl and he just lays a fat one and it's like, okay, well, you know, I think this is kind of run its course. Let's ship him off and uh, go and get a guy like Stafford, who you mentioned. I think it is a pretty good litmus test because he's with the Lions, who are sneaky, like one of the worst organizations in sports. Uh, Mom and pop type deal. And they just, they don't even get any coverage for how bad they are, but they just kind of failed to really give them what they needed. Obviously like people will come back at you with like the Calvin Johnson, like Reggie Bush type stuff. And it's like, eh, like, yes, but like that's one or two weapons on offense. There was never a good defense. He had a good offensive line, a couple different years. Jim Bob Cooter got some good football out of him. Uh, but it was just always limited uh, as far as their relationship went. I'm curious to see how Campbell is going to use golf. I'm curious to see if they're going to package all these picks that they have to move up for a quarterback, potentially this year to groom behind golf. It's a, uh, an eminently fascinating situation, but, uh, I do like this Matthew Stafford, uh, Sean McVay pairing. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. The guy has got an amazing arm, really good mobility, one of the toughest SOBs that you'll see, that video that was going around viral uh, of him kind of getting hurt running off field after a long completion and then running back onto the field to throw a game-winning touchdown pass. Like He had, I think, multiple moments like that with the Lions. It's, and, that's uh, the anti-Jared Goff. That is exactly, yeah. Have. It's just like the mental fortitude is there, the physical fortitude is there. If Jared Goff gets pressure in the pocket. He literally ducks. Like, yeah. And like, he's not a guy who should be doing that. It's six, four with that lanky frame that he has. Like Stafford is a lot more, a lot more mobile, a lot more stronger against the rush. He sure. stands up there. Great, great arm, great swag too. He's a backwards hat guy, which is always great to see. Uh, so I think he's game winning drives since he, uh, entered the NFL. Yeah. That's second most in the NFL since he entered behind Aaron Rodgers. 38 times Matt Stafford has won a game in the final possession, which is nuts. That feels like it's how many games has even won? Like 58, maybe 55. So most of his wins are him having to win the game at the end doing it. Yep, pretty much. So he's he's finally going to have a good, or a good uh, competent organization and leadership around him. So that's going to be very exciting to see. He clearly is willing to go out and get whatever talent is necessary at any cost as well. And going to surround him with whatever he needs instead of kind of this half-assed structure that he's had with the Lions ever since Calvin Johnson retired. And they saw the grass on the other side with Jim Caldwell, who turned out to be the best coach they've had in our lifetime yeah yeah definitely but uh yeah it's gonna be fascinating to watch there's gonna be plenty more on that obviously and uh as far as the orlando brown stuff we do get that get into that a little bit in our chat with sarah which uh, we might as well throw it over to now it's a really fun chat uh it's well over an hour i believe so uh she had a lot of really good stuff to say she's a really really fun 
kind of personality to follow has been since her days with the team, and we get into all of that. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and throw it over to our interview with Sarah Ellison. We will talk to you guys later in the week. See ya. Arrivederci. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is Sarah Ellison. How's it going, Sarah? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. This will be fun. Absolutely, yeah. We're very excited to have you on. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I've uh, been a little bit uh, a little bit in the making here for the last couple of weeks, so uh, really glad we could finally make it happen. And I'd assume that most of our listeners are familiar with you here, either from Twitter or obviously your work with the Ravens. We were just kind of talking offline about that. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind go ahead and going ahead and giving us kind of a quick background on yourself, how you wound up coming to work for the Ravens to begin with, what that whole kind of story is. Uh, if you could go ahead and give it to us. Yeah, so I worked for the Ravens for 13 years from 2005 through 2018. Um, so while I was there, at the beginning of the years, I was kind of in and out of different internships. I was, you know, with the PR team, uh, with Chad and Patrick and Kevin and all them for, for my very first season intern. Then I moved into corporate sales <laughs> just to keep my foot in the door. And then I moved into the web. And so and I became I became the editor there. And uh, as you guys know, created late for work and, uh, you know, worked with Ryan and Garrett on the content and all of that. So that was good. And the way I got there. So um, so honestly, I it had never occurred to me uh, that that I could have a job in professional sports if I wasn't, an you know, otherworldly athlete. <laughs> you know, so I I enjoyed sports, but my my cap was was in uh, varsity basketball. Um, and so, but I, I majored in, in public relations and, uh, I was about three weeks away from graduating over in, uh, BYU in Utah. And, uh, I was like, man, what am I going to do? I'm like three weeks away. And I decided to get on the communications department, like at the school there to look at what kind of maybe job opportunities they had posted or internships. And I had seen one for the Baltimore Ravens. And I was like, wait, like I love sports. It just, had, it really hadn't dawned on me. And so I went, so the reason why it was at BYU is because at the time, Brian Billick was the head coach and he graduated from public relations at BYU. And so he had asked the PR staff to get four interns uh, for training camp every year. And then they, they narrowed that down for two for the full season. So uh, Brian Billick asked that the PR team take one of those interns come from BYU. So what I had to do is I had to submit my resume to BYU first, then they filtered through all the candidates there. And so they had sent two resumes to the Ravens and they called me and said, we didn't choose you. And I was like, oh, bummer. I was like, I mean, but it was a dream for like two days, you know, cause I hadn't thought of it. And uh, so I was like, all right, I gotta keep searching. And the next day BYU called me back and they said Baltimore asked for a third resume and we chose you. And I was like, sweet, I'll let you use an interview and I know I can convince them. And I interviewed with Chad Steele and, and um, you know, all the other guys there. And so I became an intern with Patrick Gleason. We were interns together. And I was supposed to only be a summer, a training camp intern. But you, I don't know if you guys know Marisol. Marisol got pregnant that year. Mm. And she was going to be going on maternity leave. So Kevin Byrne, they came to me and said, we're going to take a third intern this year. And this is like days. They're like, do you, can you find a house? Because at the time we were out to Westminster, right? So we were in like dorm rooms. They, didn't, right. they paid for us to be in the dorm rooms or whatever. They're like, can you find a house? Because we're not going to be, you know, <laughs> putting you up. So on $5 an hour, I got on, um, uh, I'm trying to remember what website I got on. And I found a room and 
you know, the rest is history. Kind of crazy how that stuff works out. It was like one foot in the door, one foot out of the door, like three times in a row. And uh, Brian Billick getting you in there. That's an incredible story. Great (laughs) great story for younger listeners that might be thinking, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate college. Honestly, the the funny part about that is I'm reading that book, Next Man Up, right now. And uh, kind of some of the stories about him, like, accidentally cutting players and, like, Daniel Jeremiah, like, bringing the wrong people to, like, get cut. (laughs) And, like, it just kind of – it's funny how that kind of stuff can, like – the clerical stuff can kind of work with uh, the organization sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I mean, obviously late for work has been huge, hugely successful. That's got to be your baby. And we still, obviously everybody follows what Ryan and Garrett and Cliff and everyone are still doing. And we're just curious from the perspective of, of someone who has done it like yourself and did it for so long. What does a typical day look like in that position of, of someone who's, you know, creating content for the Ravens? What was a day by day? How you, how you feeling when you walk in every day? So, so what's interesting, and, and this is why I will forever sing the praises of the Ravens, so I don't know if you guys know, I have four children. So each one of my children, I mean, when I moved to Baltimore, I was single. I met my husband in Baltimore. We got married there and I had all four of my children in Baltimore. Wow. So while I didn't grow up in Baltimore and now we've moved away from Baltimore, those 13 years are substantial to my life with creating my family there and having, you know, my first job out of college, obviously I had jobs before then, but straight out of college. And, and um, so about um, three years in, I was pregnant with my first child and, uh, you know, I went to them and I was like, I'm a woman that I just, I need, I know me, I'm going to need to be a part of my, my children's lives. And I was like, so I'm, I'm going to have to hang them up. And guess when that happened, that happened when there was the threat of the NFL lockout. And so Dick Cass, the president put a hiring freeze on the Ravens. Like nobody was going to be fired, but we couldn't expand because they were, who knew that if they were even going to be a season, they'd lose, you know, all that revenue, similar to like COVID, but like no football. Right. And so my boss came back to me, Michelle Andres, and she, and she, and I was, she was like freaking out. She's like, I'm going to lose you. I can't replace you. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll continue working, but I want to do it from home. And so they did that for me. And, um, so the setup, and it kept getting bigger. It was supposed to be part-time, and I never worked part-time hours. It was always full-time. So, so but, but the moral of the story is, is that they did that. And then at one point, I had to move to England. We moved to England, uh, Cambridge, and they let me work from England for a year. Wow. And, uh, and so luckily through technology. And so that's how Late for Work was born, because she's like, okay, if you work from home, some of the managerial stuff you've been doing, I can't do. And I was like, well, I'd like to get more into content. Can I, can I become a writer? And Mike Duffy was a writer at the time. She's like, what would you write about? And I was like, let me write it up and then I'll come up with a name. And that's how kind of Late for Work was born. And so from there, I got my own podcast from there. I was still the editor for many years until that went on to, to Ryan. Um, so they just, first class organization. Somebody told me when I first went in that women can't have it all. And what they mean by that is that you can't have a ton of success in your profession and have a big family. Like you kind of have to choose And I think that's true unless you have a team around you. And I have to sing the praises of my team at home. My in-laws moved in and helped me with the kids. And I have to praise the team of the Ravens, who time and time again, uh, it was just hopefully a win-win. Hopefully I was bringing something to the table for them, you know, to kind of let me work from home. So I went in on Mondays. We did a big big content meeting for the week. The rest of the time I was at home, we were on Slack all the time. I was in constant communication. We were on video conference calls all, all the time. Um, I went in for in 
for important, you know, pressers or things like that. Um, so for me, it was in front of my desk constantly communicating with people online, similar to what you'd see in COVID, but I did it for the, for the, for almost 10 years while I was there. It's kind of crazy. It's like teams these days have entire media arms and they have whole like podcasts and like written editorial stuff like of reporters that work for the team, but are commenting on them and kind of trying to remain objective and stuff. And it kind of sounds like you were sort of at the forefront of that, which is really kind of a cool, cool origin story for you. And I'm glad you kind of brought that up because I was curious, like in that sense, like uh, from our point of view, a lot of what we do is kind of structured around the schedule of the league. And I'm guessing it was probably similar for you guys. So would you say you had like a specific process for that content creation or was it a little more kind of play it by ear depending on like what was going on with the team or what was going on with the NFL schedule? It was both. Definitely a lot of planning, uh, you know, and that's what I went in on Mondays for is we'd come up with the the skeleton for the week. So we knew what kind of basic stories we wanted to chase because that is kind of like the NFL, right? There's There's – only so much news during the week, uh, during the season. And you, and there's kind of built in with pressers. And when the injury report comes out once in a while, there'd be breaking news. So you have to be ready to, you know, you're on your toes all Especially the time. Like 15 news. years ago, it was a little bit more slow than it is now. It wasn't this full 365 day breaking news cycle that they've created over the last couple of years. Well, yeah, we would still, I mean, when I was there, when I first started there, there was barely a website. Um, Facebook, really hadn't even started in 2005. Uh, There was no Twitter, nothing of that. So we were still trying to be fast, but we didn't have to get it out to so many different distribution channels. And so now we had to get a bigger and bigger team every time there's like a new, (laughs) new, whether it's Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or all these different distribution channels. So we were trying to be quick. I still remember when when Steve McNair, when he passed, Mm. and it was July 4th. And I'm like getting ready to go out for my big July 4th plans. I was like in the shower and you have to jump out. You tell the kids to hold on. We're going to go do the fireworks. Just give me an hour, you know, while we do all this. So, so, so anyway, you do plan, you plan all the time, but you have to be ready for those plans to be blown up all the time. Is in that sense, are you guys like ahead? Like this is probably, I I don't want to get you in trouble. So like, don't answer this if you don't want to, but like how, how often are you guys like ahead of the breaking news? Like if Schefter or Rappaport puts it out there, are you guys kind of already prepping ahead of that? Or do you kind of just live with that as the fans do? No, it's a little bit of both again. So sometimes Schefter would break something, especially under Ozzy. Ozzy didn't want to announce something until the ink was on the, on the table. So we had to like, you know, massage and be like, can we say agreed to terms? Like Schefter's killing us. We want to break some news, you know? And so, um, so, and, but whereas agents, they would be like, as soon as there are any sort of agreement, they're calling Schefter on the player side. And so there were definitely times where like, we found out on Twitter that somebody had signed or, you know, something had happened or, um, so, and then if there was a time that we got to break the news, it was like, we didn't have, it wasn't that much time. Like we needed to go. Cause we were, cause, because the PR staff, again, we're not part of the PR department, the, the media, although people will lump us in with them thinking we are, but they're a whole different department that serves the media, the outside media. And so they had to balance what they would give us versus what they're going to give uh, Jeff Zrebeck or what they're going to give, you know what I mean? Cause they have a relationship to build with everybody. And so if they did give us the lead, it's like, y'all have a minute. And we're, and we're sending this out to the media. So, so, uh, so we didn't have that big of a heads up now, most of the time. 
And being at like the forefront of social media and through all of that is very interesting perspective as well. Now that you're a little bit removed, what are some of the things that you, you kind of miss and some of some of the things that, you know, uh, were, were a little bit more pressuresome in different senses? Uh, the thing I miss, um, I, I, I miss going in on those Mondays and like being with the team and coming up with the content. I miss the draft days, even though, man, those were, those were, uh, ugh. I could tell you guys a story. I've never said this publicly. I had a miscarriage on draft day in the Ravens facility. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that was, so when you talk about my connection to the Ravens, like, I just don't know that people quite understand. They think that, I mean, you're a part of that team. You're a part of it. You know what I mean? Um, that was, that you're was part of the machine. Was a crazy you're draft. a, you're a in the machine. You're like, you're- people don't realize like our lives are dominated. I mean, I'm in the facility when this is going down and I'm like, and I'm afraid to stop because if I don't edit these stories or if I don't put headlines on these videos while the draft is going, fans are like, why are the Ravens behind, you know? And so like, I'm dealing with like feeling sick and feeling issues, but I didn't want to stop, you know, until there was a breaking point. And so, um, so I, I kind of got lost on your question, but so, so I, I miss, I, it's, it's a love hate relationship. I love that pressure. I thrive under that pressure. And at the same time, re- being removed from it and doing stuff on my own, on my own time schedule. Cause I'm, as you guys know, I'm still on Twitter. I go on podcasts or other shows frequently like you guys, like all this time, one man. all the time. I Kadri Ishmael called me up before the season. He's like, Hey, you want to kick off a show? So we did a show this year. Awesome, and so yeah. I do it. I, so so in a lot of ways, I feel like I get to do some of the best stuff that I loved, which was create content, but it's not with- It's on your the, own terms. It's on my own terms, but I would have, but I, but I still owe my foundation to that. Do you know what I, you know what I mean? So, uh, so I stand, I stand on those shoulders, so to speak, that foundation. So, so if I, if it weren't for social media, if it weren't for things developing like COVID and all these shows that people are doing from home or, I mean, even Garrett has to do stuff from home during COVID. Right. So because of that, there's a lot of things that I'm still doing that I used to do, but I don't have to edit everybody else's stories. <laughs> like it's just, it's just my content. So it's, it's, it's kind of nice actually. You found the sweet spot. It's uh, I found the sweet spot. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I think we can maybe relate a little bit, maybe not like obviously to that extent. And it's not our full-time job. It's kind of a part-time thing that we have going here, but uh, you know, there is pressure to, like I was talking to Pete Gilbert from WBAL uh, last week on the podcast, and like it's the pressure to like stay up after like a Monday night football game when maybe you've had, had a couple pops or something, and you kind of just want to like go to sleep or something and sort of revel in it. But like you have to like when you're doing a show like this, I believe the strength of it is kind of the authenticity and sort of that raw emotion. So like I was telling him after that Browns game, like we had to stay up until midnight. I was up editing until two a.m. and mm-hmm. like there's just kind of that pressure for that immediacy, like you were talking about Spencer, like with social media and everything, the way that it's developed, it's also immediate and there's a lot of pressure, but, uh, you know, it's the best job, obviously. Um, I thrive off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I'm like, as someone who follows the team's media very closely, it it seems like an, like an awesome job. And like, I think part of the reason we do something like this is to maybe be able to do something like that someday. And I'm sure like it was an awesome job. It sounds like you have some very fond memories of it. I guess we've maybe already touched on this, but like, what is one thing that you would want to impart to a fan following you like either in those days or on Twitter now about the job that that maybe they don't understand that you would like them to understand. Huh? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty, I don't know. Like I, I, not even so much for me. I feel like, I feel like fans, I don't know. I like, 
I don't know that they need to know all the work that goes in behind the scenes. They care more about the players and like the football team and the coaches and all that. You're just a, a connection to that. So you can go away and somebody else can, can take that spot and, you know, somebody else is hired to fill that connection. So I don't, I don't know that I need them to know anything more about me. Um, you know, more than anything, I'd like to, I like to help create understanding when there's not about the team. And so whether it's negative or positive, like I just want, you know, the, you know, as accurate of narratives out there as possible. And so, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if something is John Harbaugh's fault versus, you know, an offensive lineman or Lamar Jackson or whatever, you just want to like always set the, the record straight there. But, but there's nothing that I'm like, ah, oh, you need to know this more about me. I mean, if you want to get into the business, I could certainly, I remember I would go on campuses and give little presentations. I have a whole thing. I had to like interview like a Raven and I would explain because, you know, I, I, I was part of the interview process for Ryan and Garrett. And so right. I can go and say, okay, all these writers came through. Why did we choose Ryan and Garrett? Like what stuck out? So I had like this whole thing of interview like a Raven and all that kind of stuff. But, but there's nothing that, I mean, it's fun work. It's hard work. Lots of fans would love to do it 100%. Absolutely. And when you guys are, you know, doing all these different avenues of, of media communication and, and being that plug, like you mentioned, podcast, written stuff. How often are players, you know, picking up on something that might've gone on the website and being like, Hey, I saw what you wrote about that the other day. Like, uh. yeah. So sometimes, I mean, definitely sometimes it was, um, it's interesting because I think fans would be surprised at how little players, coaches, Steve Bashotti, even PR, how little they tell us what to cover, how little, in fact, they don't tell us what to cover at all. Now, it, now, once in a while, if you're so far off, but this is the regular media too, you might hear from a John Harbaugh. You might hear, uh, players are usually much more thick-skinned. You'd rarely hear from players. They have constant noise. They're uh, constant, constant noise. So it's rare for them to say anything. I was usually in the position, because of late fork and also my style, um, I found out very quickly that public relations didn't jive with me. I'm a very transparent person, very transparent. And so, and, and so is PR, but, but I liked late for work because I could be even more transparent because there, there is the stigma of like, well, is it the team criticizing the team, which we wanted to call a spade a spade, but I could get more into the criticism realm in late for work than maybe just, whereas, all the other content really was an attempt to call a spade a spade, but it wouldn't be so heavy handed. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like, Not as like direct. Work, it was kind of a tight rope a little bit. Yeah. There's a tight rope. Whereas like it can get a little bit more rough in late for work. And so it usually was me <laughs> who, if we did, well, that's not, that's not true. I mean, there were, there are other content that, that would, you know, ruffle feathers, but that doesn't mean it would, you would have to take it down either. It would just be like, whoa, 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 whoa. And they want to make sure that like, you got it straight too. You know what I mean? So, but I definitely was, I always, if you'd ask anybody on there, I was definitely the one always pushing the envelope a little bit more. So. Yeah. I guess it's maybe just a situation where you just kind of take stock of all information or like what your opinion is and mm -hmm. you just say it, but like you also maybe at the time just remember like the organization that you work for when you do. And it's probably just like a kind of an interesting sort of, uh, you know, balance that you have to strike. But I don't know. From what I've heard, it seems like uh, they're pretty, I, I wouldn't say like loose, but, you know, pretty fair with how they allow you guys or how they allowed you and how they now allow 
the guys doing the job to uh, cover the autonomy team. for sure. Yeah, and especially continued on with Garrett and Ryan and everyone. And I think and, that's and a thousand times more autonomy than most franchises. And I don't care if it's NFL, NBA, MLB, like whatever. We definitely had a lot more, but we had to fight for it for sure because we were. That was that's not. You have the to be, I feel like you have to be very consistent in order to yep. earn that autonomy as well. You have to have yep. a good track record of being able to function that way. Well, you're trusted, also. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think that definitely is part of what makes it such a good kind of brand. And like you, you've mentioned, Ryan and Garrett, like they're two personalities in their own right now, and they're they're absolutely mm-hmm. killing it, doing awesome, doing an awesome job. You were kind of in that same realm as well, and uh, now Cliff has kind of joined the team and is in that spot as well. And Cassie kind of jumping into video, and uh, Jesse, and you know, a couple, a lot of people in that team that are incredibly talented. As far as your point of view, you were with the organization, like you mentioned, for 12 years. You crossed over a couple of different eras. Over your time there, who was your favorite player, coach, both, whatever, to kind of interact with? Oh, a handful of them. I um, I loved Deion Sanders was one of my favorite, <laughs> and that was for a very brief period of time. Um, let's see. I loved... Oh, oh, um, I loved um, Jonathan Ogden. I almost called him OJ, J-O. Um, Jonathan Ogden was great. I remember one of my first interviews, he's like, man, I got to get on the bike. He's like, just come with me. And I had to be on the bike next to him in the weight room. And I'm like biking around like while, while he's like, you know, I'm asking him questions and we're talking back and forth. Uh, so he was nice. Jamal Lewis was great. Um, Ray was great at the podium. It was hard to get access to him, um, but he was great at the podium, obviously. Really, really like Joe Flacco. And like most people, you know, see him as like this, um, you know, just not emotional guy, but he's as honest as they come and he's accountable. So when you go up and talk to him, he's not, he's not dodging anything. He's just, you know, he, he gives it to you straight and I still remember, like, I remember just in case, because you don't know, he has like a million people. I go up there and I'm like, hey, Joe, I'm Sarah. And he's like, can you stop saying you're Sarah? I know who you are, you know, just like, you know, just really easy and direct. And then I I wish I was around more for Lamar. Lamar, I was there in the building when he was drafted and I was there for all of OTAs and part of training camp. And my, my last day was August 1st, 2018. Um, so, but from afar, I can tell, man, that guy is just so to reporters, like for the most part, tries to understand where they're coming from. Nobody gets more criticism than, than Lamar Jackson. Nobody, not even Joe Flacco. It's on a whole new level. And uh, the way he treats the media, I wish that I could have gotten to know him better. Um, I was there for some of those podiums and whatnot, but he's a guy I have a feeling would have been great. A fun story that uh, Jerry Sandusky with a G, of course, uh, told me one time was that First time he got to really talk with Steve Smith when he came to Baltimore that uh, he was like, you know, how, how are things with uh, you and Joe Flacco? Jer- Jerry, I feel like has told the story a bunch, but he uh, he was like, oh, you know, how, how was it, you know, getting together with Joe Flacco? He's like, yeah, me and him had, you know, talked once or twice before, but the first time I shake his hand, I, uh, you know, I go, hey, I'm really excited to be here. Can't wait to catch passes from you. Joe apparently shook his hand. He was like, really excited to have you, but if you don't run yeah. the right route, I am not throwing you the ball, man. <laughs> so we you, go. you said direct and, and yeah, really he was. Get back in those back and well, forth. Well, and I, I have to add two more. I, I was only thinking of players. Uh, so my podcast, uh, Man of the Crowd, was the nine-episode podcast that, you know, do, dove deep into the Harbaugh family. Uh, Steve Bashotti is probably my favorite interview I ever did. I was up in his office in those leather chairs with him smoking a cigar for almost an hour. 
I'm and so fascinated about- by, I'll, I'll let you continue, but I did want to compliment you on that real quick because I'm so fascinated by Bashadi. I'd love to talk to him someday. And that was like really, really well done by you. Oh, thank you very, very much. And it, and it's easy when the owner gives you access. I mean, I just, it's funny because nobody wants to ask him. He wants to stay, stay so behind. So a lot of times when it's, if it's Ozzy, John, or Steve, you would go through Kevin Byrne to request the interview, right? And on this one, Kevin's like, I'm gonna, he goes, I don't really want to ask him for you because he has to manage how many, how many interviews he's going to ask for him. He goes, but I'll tell you what, this is what I will allow you to do which nobody really goes up to Steve out of nowhere at practice. He's like, I'll let you go up. You talk to Steve and you ask him for it. Cause then it's not an ask from Kevin. So I went up to him in, in practice and I just explained him what I was doing. He's like, yeah, I need to be a part of this. I need to be a part of this. He's like, you know, call my, I thought he was giving me a line, call my secretary and she'll set it up. But she did. And he did. He gave me an hour up in his office. And then for John also, I, John obviously was crucial to that podcast and I had to get him at the right time. I'm not joking. I got him into the studio and I went through everything because I had interviewed his parents first, his sisters, and I wanted him to react to some of the clips of them watching the Super Bowl with me and reacting to the controversial controversial um, calls by the refs and to get their opinions on it and to get their emotions of it. And so he gave me an hour and I had run through all my questions. And he's like, I, he's like, Sarah, I finally get the vision of what you're doing on this. He goes, what else? What else? I'm not joking. We just we just kept shooting back and forth unplanned for another hour. And I and I would dig deeper. I would talk I got into like the whole mutiny. Remember the whole mutiny thing that came about and like his relationship with Ed Reed and like all of these things. So every time when I hear people talk about John Harbaugh, which you know, people there's a lot of people that, you know, are unhappy with him or maybe they're just done because it's been so many years or whatever. But after in it, like, and I had Ozzy for that part, like hearing how they think about him and how they think of each other. I just wish that fans knew the partnership culture that Steve Bashotti has instilled. And what I mean that, like when you're putting millions on the line with somebody, when you're, and it's not even just the money, when you're putting your, the face of your franchise, your reputation, like who you are, you're choosing somebody that you honestly trust. And then that also goes down to franchise players like Lamar Jackson. And so, you know, to tie it into stuff that's going on today, today people love Lamar Jackson so much because he is under so much undeserved criticism that if he has a bad game, if he has a bad play, if he has a bad playoff game, it's like it can't be Lamar's fault. So all of a sudden you want to be like, it's coaches. And I want to constantly remind people because then – to, to from the out on the outside, it's players versus versus coaches, players versus coaches. And I'm sure that there are some players that maybe feel that way, like Bernard Pollard. But by and large, this is a partnership. And so when people are like, oh, look at here come the negotiations with Lamar. I hope, you know, I heard like a PF um, or who was, yeah, pro football talk is like, I hope the Ravens don't try to fleece Lamar Jackson. I'm like, you do not understand the Ravens. A loser organization would try to take advantage of that. The Ravens don't try to take advantage of their partner. And so when fans are like, it's coaches versus players, I'm like, I don't think you understand. This isn't an adversarial relationship. They're not adversaries in that building. They're partners. They're partners. Now, of course, sometimes like maybe with or, you know Orlando Brown, we'll see. Sometimes a player's goal and the franchise's goals don't align anymore. That doesn't mean that we have to be adversaries. So right. if, it's, if it's Orlando Brown's goal to become a left tackle, 
And the Ravens can't fulfill that goal because they have Ronnie Stanley, who, by the way, I would not move away from left tackle. He's a better pass blocker. And that's not to demean Orlando Brown. Like he's it's a credit to Ronnie. Stanley. It's a credit. Yes. It's a credit to Ronnie. Cause, cause Orlando could go play left tackle. I'm sure for a dozen other teams places. in the league. Yes, exactly. However, if so, if the Ravens cannot fulfill that goal anymore that Ronnie Stanley has, we still love each other. If you can go get it somewhere else, you know, I mean, it might be a little bit earlier or whatever, but again, it, it doesn't have to be an, an adversarial relationship. They I, want I him to of, fulfill his goal as well. They want him to, yes, and they do see him like a son. Like, And I say that as somebody who's not a player and I know how they treated me, and I'm like some guy, I'm, I'm just some girl on the business side in a cubicle, and how they treated me, they're not going to fleece your franchise quarterback. You know, especially so, Orlando Brown too. His father played there in the same right. stadium, the same number. They're the ones who took. You were like, we don't care about the combine. Come here, play for us. Boom, done. They right. want him to achieve his full potential and success in life. Exactly, exactly. For the Ravens, so, on the Ravens' terms. And so, if Orlando Brown just had what was it, six or seven games at left tackle, and he's got a, maybe a little anxiety of like, wait, I got to strike while the iron is hot, bro, go for it. You know what I mean, like. It, make that be known to 32 teams. I don't. I mean, whatever you got to do. I, I personally don't like. I liked Hayden Hurst style, where he went under the radar and said, "Hey, Eric, I'd like to be traded." If if or I don't even know that Orlando Brown wants to be traded. I mean, who knows? We could read into that tweet. Between forwards, yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, wh- whatever. The point is, though, is that you'd like to. Sometimes you you want to make it an adversarial relationship, and of course, players can get frustrated sometimes. Like like uh, Hollywood Brown did with the infamous soldiers tweet and all that kind of stuff. But by and large, I'd like fans to remember, like if their goals don't align anymore, it's all good. Like we don't need to demonize each other and take one side or the other, like go somewhere else to fulfill your, your, your goal. And the Ravens will try to find somebody else to fulfill the goal and the opportunities that they have. And the two things I feel like that resonate with that, just with one that's a little bit basic and one that happens every year, Eric Weddle, I remember talked about just, coming from that Charger situation, a lot of, you know, animosity there with with that franchise and some issues that he had as a person. And uh, then coming to Baltimore, he's like, John Harbaugh, Eric DaCosta, Steve Bishotti, Mr. Mr. Ozzie, they are honest with players. Mm-hmm. They are honest. They share the same vision. And that goes into those Jupiter meetings that they have. Yeah. And what do we want to do? What is the plan? Let's all get on the exact same page as partners, as you mentioned. And I feel like that is why they are so sustainably successful. Oh, last year, you know, the front seven wasn't great. All right. They identify all four of them identify that in tandem. And then that is the the concrete plan. And it worked really well. They what they put their mind to is a complete unit and they get the great result out of it. Um, and obviously, you know, you left August of 2018. I think uh, Jake went back and, and found your exact exact departure date. Does that sound right? That it is. It's August first. Yeah, it was August. I, 1st. I literally August. found the tweet. So if it's wrong, then I'm blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he said, you know, from then, how would you say that? You know, how would you describe what you've seen since you left the Ravens, since your time ended, and, and the direction that they've gone, and kind of some of those meta perspectives that you bring to us? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would need. You know, I, I try to. I try, I try to keep up my personal relationships with them, but I try to let them not, I, I don't try to get into like, hey, what are you guys up to? And like, what's this and that? And so all this perspective is, is simply outside because, you right. know, sometimes we'll talk about football, but I don't get into the, 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 the details of the content and all that kind right. of stuff. But it's, it's constantly expanding. It's constantly expanding. It's constantly going on new platforms. 
Um, I love the addition of Cliff Brown. Um, Re-addition. You know, he was previously with the Ravens, correct? Well, he was. Wow. He, he was with uh, Comcast. He covered the Ravens, but not. Uh, yeah, he was for Ravens. CSN, I think, for a while, right? Yeah, he yeah. he had been for a yeah yeah yeah, and so so he had covered him, but he didn't. He wasn't in our with our team, so um, he was with outside media, right, right? In that whole media room out there, but um, but uh, but yeah, they're just they're just like when I was there, they're just constantly constantly expanding, and um, and so it's just continually trying to keep up with um. The social media wor- world trying to keep up with uh, all the breaking news. Um, so, so I, so, so to me, it looks like they have the same philosophies and all that, but just constantly trying to to get bigger. And and I and I and, I, and I, there's a lot of emphasis on video, a lot of emphasis on video, and they have an incredible video team. They had just merged broadcast and the web team uh, for most of my years there had been separated. And then my last, I think two or three years, we combined into one group. And I think it was just, it was so much better because we were, could work on content to, together and like, you know, have brainstorming sessions together and work off each other. And we could better plan, incorporate their videos into like the whole content plan. Whereas before it was just like, we had never, we never knew what they were doing and we it would be like last minute incorporation. Now we can highlight it more. And so I see that they have continued to go down that road and they've expanded their podcast. Like John Eisenberg got his podcast. Cliff Brown has got his podcast. The lounge is still going. So they're just constantly just pumping it out. We always like to call ourselves a well-oiled machine, but we wanted to keep growing and be innovative and they've continued to do that. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I guess that's maybe enough from the content perspective. We can obviously like touch on it in and out as we move forward here. But I was really curious. You mentioned and kind of touched on this a little bit already, but we talked about August 2018. There's a little bit of overlap there with you and with Lamar Jackson arriving in the organization. And obviously, so you were there, you were in the building, like you mentioned, when he got drafted in those months, that spring and summer. I'd imagine the I know as a fan, the energy levels for me were pretty high regarding the team. If you had to use one word to describe the energy levels in the building that spring and summer, what would you use? Energy level. It was, it, well, you have to understand there was like a balance between Joe Flacco was still the starter. And so, and I remember, I remember watching Lamar, his very first OTAs, and I was like, he's not even close to Flacco right now, which you would expect, right? Flacco was a veteran at that point. But then Lamar just skyrockets. Like every time you see him, he gets better and better and better. And like this rookie finally comes in and he starts winning you games. And then, you know, like goes six and one and goes toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes. And, uh, you know, obviously we know what happened in that Chargers playoff game, but then he comes back in 2019 and his progress was was through the roof. But when I was in that building, so hold on a second. You guys may know the story, but when when the Ravens drafted him, everyone in the building thought the draft was over. Right. And so it was just Eric and Ozzy in the draft room. And as Eric told the story, he just went up to Ozzy. He's like, are we going to do this thing? Are we going to try to get back in? But all the scouts had left the draft room. So where we covered them, so there's two floors in the facility. And right above us, uh, not, I mean, basically right above us was the draft room. And, um, and so down the hall was the, um, the, the, you know, the big business uh, conference room. And most of the scouts had gone in there. So we're, t- we're like, you know, writing about our Hayden Hurst pick that we're thinking we're done with the, the day. We're putting up all that content. 
And all of a sudden, we look on the TV and the Ravens have traded back into the first round. And then you hear that you you selected Lamar Jackson. I'm not joking, you guys. Above our heads, there's a stampede <laughs> of footsteps running back into the draft room. And you know it's the scouts. And they're like, what's going on here? We just go, like, you, you guys drafted Lamar Jackson? Like, what was that part of the, you know what I mean? Like, they wanted to keep their interest in him so low. They did not want it to get out so badly that their scouts didn't even know that they were going to go and draft him. And I'm not joking. All of us looked up and we just like, our heads follow the stampede, you know, right above us back in there. And so there's a lot of excitement, but we had to balance that with Flacco and show him respect. And so we didn't know what Lamar was going to be. We knew he was an exciting quarterback. And, and when he first started, it was like he was light years away from Joe. But man, man, oh man, did he have vision of the field. And you knew once he got it down, I mean, it was just his athleticism. So uh, once he took over, I think, I mean, there was obviously no going back. The uh, <laughs> the the story from Garrett that I don't know why this is stuck with me. Maybe it's like Garrett, like having to like hustle back to the stadium. But like, he talks about like he was in Dallas uh, to cover it. And the Hayden Hurst pick happened. He hopped on a shuttle and left the stadium. He and like Arlington, like that yeah. stadium is in the middle of nowhere. So he like he gets the call. He has to like hop back on a bus. He has to like sprint to the stadium. And then there's that video of him interviewing Lamar. So he made it work. But it's just like so funny, like kind of that the inner workings of how all that stuff works sometimes. And oh, like, yeah. obviously, like and that's was, why that's why I say you have to plan. But then you have to be ready for everything to blow up. We were so proud of Garrett for getting that interview, so by much. the way. We were like, way to go, Garrett. Way to go. That was such a that was a big one. Absolutely. And the fact that they had like. It was only Ozzy and Eric involved in those talks. It's like level 17 Pentagon clearance, security <laughs> clearance to, to have that conversation. Uh, but that's awesome. And then, I mean, moving into the direction and, and what's going on with the Ravens on the field now and, and through the perspectives of that, how do you feel generally so much is made of it? It's the polarizing topic now of Ravens fans. What do you make of what the Ravens have or have not done to surround Lamar Jackson with quote unquote necessary talent? And, you know, how do you grade or look at or, or uh, just kind of assess what they've done so far in, in helping the growth of Lamar Jackson in the sense that you're talking about in the practice field as well as with the surrounding talent? Well, I think uh, John Harbaugh said it extremely well. He said in that press conference, he said, we owe it to the offensive side of the ball to build that side up. And I agree with him 100%. I think that, um, I think that they maybe underestimated a little bit uh, the losses that they took after 2019. I think everybody um, did a little bit. I think everybody did. And that's not to say, listen, they knew they had to replace Yonda. And they had a lot of options at right guard. I mean, there's a lot of youth there. I wrote an article and I was like, I think they pulled four lottery tickets. You've got Powers. You've got Fluker. Yep. You've got Phillips. Like, one of those is probably going to be at least a $50 scratch off. Like, you, yep. you think you take enough shots, you're probably going to find the guy and then didn't quite work out that way. That was the strategy. And I don't think it was a bad strategy unless you right. wanted to go out. I mean, the other option would have been to go get a veteran, but I like the, the way the Ravens draft their, their offensive linemen or even their undrafted linemen. Hello. Um, how many Ryan Jensen, guys? Ryan Jensen's center contract ever a few years later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so I trust in the way that they draft and they had two young guys from the uh, 2019 draft. They added a couple more in the 2020. So I was like, somebody's bound to, to rise up and then, but then Phillips got, got injured and like, you know, they had Fluker in there as a backup for so many things. He, he definitely didn't play up to very good standards anywhere. 
Um, so, so not that I think that they underestimated Yonda's loss, uh, but I do think they underestimated Hayden Hurst's loss. Um, and I also think, and not again, I was agreeing with it at the time. The so they had this. So we talked about the strategy they had at offensive line, which I don't think was a bad one, but I think it compounded with with Orlando or Ronnie Stanley's injury. And then who would have foreseen that like Skura and McCary out of nowhere would like stop the head, which would forget how to like snap a ball. Like right. what, like Skura for, was, was a solid center. And so you thought the concern would be with his knee, but his blocking grades were actually pretty good. And so like he forgets how to do And then so McCary takes over just fine. His blocking grades are solid, not great, but then he forgets how to snap. And so you can't, you know, obviously foresee that. So then the strategy with the tight end really wasn't there. They just were like, didn't do much. They, you know, brought in some, some like low key signings or undrafted guys. Right. And then at wide receiver, what the strategy was, which again, I agree with, but they didn't have a, they didn't like necessarily do a backup plan. So what they have done is how many times have we gone to the market for, you know, a 34, 33 year old wide receiver and, you know, they're just not panning out and it's clear that they don't believe in spending you know, top dollar numbers at wide receiver, I which I understand because how, what percentage of the balls are they getting anyway with a run first offense? And we can get into identity and all that if we want to. Sure. I know fans want to talk about that, but, and we'll discuss if this is the right identity to go with, but within the identity, why would you allocate all the, those dollars there? Whereas allocate it on an offensive lineman who's going to be in there, whether it's a passing game or a running game, they're, a big part of it, you know, whereas a wide receiver, how often are they getting the ball? And so, so I liked what they were doing that they were like, you know what? We understand our history of drafting wide receivers. We know our record isn't great, but our, but Eric DeCoste was like, we also don't swing enough and we don't swing enough early enough. And so he wanted to do that. And then once he did it, he wanted to develop them. And I like that. Look at how many times an outside linebacker in the first one, two, three years Take off in the fourth. Bowser is the most recent example. Darius Smith. Judon. And so what they want to do, which I agree with, what they want to do is they want to build up a pipeline in wide receiver the way they do almost everywhere else. Be systematically sound in developing that pipeline, and then you don't have to spend $20 million on an uh, Allen Robinson. Right, right. And so, so I like that. So what they did, they said, you know what? Hollywood, which he had a great, you know, playoff game. He had... With, with the foot injury, still had a, pr- a pretty good season. So a good reason to think he's going to take, take the next step. I'm telling you guys, Miles Boykin is is another in a long line of just like OTA and training camp stars, and then something happens during the regular season. He was unbelievable in training camp last year. Unbelievable. King on Jimmy Smith, on Marlon Humphrey, like everywhere, making every play. All of a sudden, he's first team, and then all of a sudden, he's always first team. I, it was one of the more peculiar things, and yeah, you mentioned the other guys, like so many, Jeremy Butler, like all these different guys that have had that happen throughout the years. Right, right. But, but Miles was on a whole new level from all these other guys even. so Jeremy Butler's so anyway, my guy. So I like that strategy, and I would like that strategy to continue. You have to build a pipeline, especially because you're not going to spend big dollars there under this run-first identity. And so, however, that said, they put all the eggs in that basket, and then – you tell me, out of all the places where COVID's going to hurt you, what it's the passing game that's going to hurt the most, right? That's where chemistry needs to happen. Then you compound that with Lamar being a young quarterback, 
Hollywood and 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 um, Miles are only a year in, and then you draft two more rookies, and so the whole passing game is youth, 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 and you don't have an off season, and you don't have a preseason. You have a little. You all you have is a couple weeks of training camp, and so and so without some sort of veteran or somebody there besides you know Hollywood, and I'm talking just about wide receivers, not tight ends. That like it just it just never really seemed to develop. Like Lamar Jackson was clear to me as day he didn't trust Miles Boykin. It was clear to me that I'm not even sure he quite trusted Dez. There were times Dez was open, and like either he just missed the read or didn't trust it or or whatever the reason was. But um, as Joe Flacco said, if you're not running the right route, I'm not throwing you the ball. If you can't trust someone to be in the right spot, and it's not even trust. It's inexperience, being new, like right. all these different factors. It's not just that they're incapable of doing it. You just don't know that they're going to be there. Right. And how bad was it that like at one point, both Miles and all the coaches admitted that Miles was so caught up that he I left the huddle before he even knew what the play was. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Where it was like John Harbaugh, Lamar Jackson, David Culley, and Miles Boykin, all parties involved were like, yeah, Miles isn't doing so good, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, like – like I need to, I need to make sure I get the play before I leave, run out of the huddle. huddle. It kind of reminds yeah, me of uh, I, I when, when, yeah. uh, kind of reminds me of when Domino's made their. They were like, yeah, our pizza is just terrible. Like we're just gonna change it now. Like, and you know, to their credit, right. it worked. So hopefully, it'll work for Miles. Right, right. <laughs> like, well, and that's just so. Here's my thing going forward. So going forward, I'm here for a veteran. Um, and you know, we all have to temper our expectations. Who knows what what Eric DaCosta. It's going to be, I bet there's going to be a cap casualty with so many teams over the cap. There's going to be some wide receiver that's not even on our radar right now that like is going to like hit the market and like then, and the Jets or the Patriots or somebody's going to have like given all this money because they're two of the teams that have a ton of money. They're going to go get the Allen Robinsons and um, they're going to go get, um, you know, all these Juju and all that. And then there's going to be some cap casualty that we're like, oh, like, okay, well, all the money's dried up. The Ravens are in like the 22nd or like there's 22 teams that are worse than them in the cap. So that's where I think Eric could like be getting some magic. So I feel like there could be a wide receiver that we're all going to like be like, okay, I like that. And, and or that they could trade right for now. cheap because a team is so close in the cap. Right. And need something more importantly. Yeah. Right. Well, if, if Eric just keeps getting these <laughs> draft picks out of the air, maybe, you know. So, not pick up. Just don't pick up. Just don't pick up. So – so, so anyway, so, so the only, the, so I can't hate the wide receiver strategy except for not having a backup plan. I can't hate the guard strategy. I don't like the tight end strategy. I feel like they should have reloaded there. And so I think they underestimated the tight end part, but wanted to show their, their wide receivers some, 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 some uh, confidence, but they didn't know that there was going to be no off season. They didn't know that there was going to be no, tr- you know, preseason or whatever. So, but I will say, despite all that, and, and maybe this is like, um, I don't know, twisting it with the, I'm an, I'm an optimistic type person at heart. So people may not like this, but as well, during the regular season, the Ravens took steps back statistically, right? Um, they did take a step forward playoff speaking. They did avenge their playoff loss to the Titans. They did do that. They did take a step forward in the playoffs. And so if we continue to have 11 and five or 10 and six seasons, you can live with that as long as like they keep going a little bit up each time in the playoffs, but hopefully it'll be a little bit more this time because this is the window. This is it. This is this is a this is the window, and so you want to take advantage. But but they did avenge that loss, and and 
nobody's going to tell me the Ravens are not out of anybody's league. Anybody's league. Now, everybody's looking up at the Chiefs, right, in the AFC. Everybody. And so you tell me that the Ravens play the Bills 10 times. I think the Ravens win at seven. Like, they're not, the, the Bills, the Ravens are not out of the Bills league. The Ravens are out of the Titans league. Right. They just beat the Titans. There's nobody that they're out of the league of. So, Especially getting that monkey off their back of finishing right. a playoff game. And, I mean, Marlon Humphrey even said, what is our identity right now? Our identity is chokers. Like, they weren't getting it done when they needed to. They go back to Tennessee, who has bullied them, and get that monkey off their back. That was a, yeah. a like a come-to-God moment almost, where it was like, this is what it feels like. This is how you win in the playoffs. You have to execute right. consistently, take what they give you, and boom, got to play mistake-free in the playoffs. And I, I agree. With that. There's this huge negative oh, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but it's like considering what happened last year and the disappointment, and then imagine if they lost to the Titans this year. That would have been... Right. They were six and five, and the entire organization had COVID at one point. Like, Yes! <laughs> yes, and with their backs against the wall. So that is why I... Like, there's so many people that want to just... We're so mad when both Harbaugh and Eric are like, look, this is our identity. And people are like, but wait, does that identity work in today's NFL? Well, you tell me what's the best strategy going forward. Is it in a year where you have COVID cap, which is basically you're broke with like, if you got a few dollars to your name. Okay. Much and you much less, this was supposed to be the year that, he, that Eric, cause he's so, he's so good. He's so, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking Disciplined with money, right? He's so disciplined to make sure he doesn't ever put himself in a bad hole ever. But this was the year that he was going to finally work the Ravens out and then have, you know, I think he was supposed to have like 30 or 40 million, something crazy yeah. like that. Obviously there's a lot of internal guys to sign, but sure. he was going to have a lot of money to do that. And then, and then some, so, um, so, so here's, here's the question. Do you stick with what you are historically good at? Historically good at you stick with that or in a COVID cap year, do you try to become what every other NFL team is trying to do to beat the chiefs, which is a traditional drop back quarterback. Uh, Josh Allen had his number one wide receiver. He couldn't beat the chiefs. Not, you are not. No, you're not going to out chief the chiefs. You're not going to. So let's get that out of let's be historically good with the, historically good at what you already do and get a little bit better in the passing game. That to me seems so much more achievable than pretending that your whole personnel. Are you kidding me? Nick Boyle is running first personnel. Lamar Jackson is running first personnel and that people think that that's some sort of like Knock on him. It's not. We all know he's capable of passing the ball. I know he is. We saw him lead the, the NFL in passing touchdowns. We've seen it. He he's knows the, it. The Ravens know it. He's the best quarterback that there's ever been. He's the best. He's the best dual threat quarterback, running back, running quarterback, whatever you want to call him, the best in history. Let's not water him down and try to make him like every other traditional quarterback out there. We've seen it. They're not beating Patrick Mahomes. Maybe the GOAT will be able to do it this coming week in Tom Brady. Maybe. But that's goat versus, you know, maybe that's you know, all time goat versus baby goat, you know, so we'll see what happens there. But 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 let's not try to, like, turn Lamar Jackson into some watered down version of who he is. Let's not. I think it's just as bad to call him a running back. OK, we all hate that. I also hate it when people Ravens fans want to tra change, change him into a drop, a drop back guy all the time. I had somebody on, on Twitter tell me the other day. 
Like, I just want Lamar to run only when he absolutely has to. And I'm like, you just described every other quarterback in the league. Lamar and himself like, kind of said that he got COVID and missed a game and was like, I'm going to stop trying to pressure myself so much from the pocket and I'm just going to take what's there. And then, oh, boom, all of a sudden the Ravens win six straight games, including a playoff game. And he has a 50-yard, 47-yard touchdown run in the playoffs and all those kinds of things. Exactly. And I'll say this because there are a lot of people also upset. It's kind of funny because last year after the – the Titans playoff loss. It's like Greg Roman abandoned the run again. Why didn't we just run it? Just stick to what you do best. And then this year he sticks to the run. Why didn't why didn't Roman use Lamar, you know, his arms more? He can do more. Like da 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 da. And so whatever happens, if you don't make it to the Super Bowl, that's gonna be like, well, in a very simplistic form, well then you should have ran more or you should have passed more. Like, like that's all that there is to it or something like that, you know? So so but 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 to your point about the COVID time. We all saw it, right? Like Lamar was hesitant to run in the first half of the of the season. He was kind right? of he was pretty much refusing to scramble. If it was a right. if it was a drop back pass, he would not scramble. And that was my he whole point: is like it. you're the best athlete on the field. Like just take over the game, like Allen Iverson, and just like Even do if you're what like you the do. Like best, you're a quarterback, and you can go get six yards. Yeah, Russell Wilson's, yeah. No, Russell Wilson's one of the best scrambling quarterbacks. He doesn't come close to Lamar, but like, how many times does he extend a drive getting twelve yards? Like, right, exactly. And so the Ravens would never say this. My theory is, is that the Ravens were 100% trying to establish a better passing game in the first half of the season. Right. Okay. And I think that's why Lamar was sticking back there. He's like, no, I got to like, we're, we're trying to establish this. We didn't have a preseason. We didn't have an off season. Like we're trying to establish this. We're still winning while we're trying to establish it. But then it just went all downhill. And like you said, suddenly it's six and five. And remember when people were saying, Lamar, what happened to you? And he just kept saying, I mean, he's not going to tell you really, but he just kept saying, oh, well, when I was out, I really missed the game. I call BS because Lamar's always hungry. He's always hungry. So, like, I don't buy that 10 days off and COVID made him more hungry. He's always hungry. I think it was Roman Harbaugh. Lamar was like, listen, if we lose one more game, we're out of the playoffs. So, like, throw the passing scheme, throw all of it out the window. We'll get, we'll revisit it in the offseason because obviously we're going to need it. But if the Ravens continue to try to, like, sacrifice a very efficient run game, number one in DVOA, and then try to do a pass game that was nowhere near like last year, it was number one in, in pass DVOA last year, number 17 this year. And so, yeah, you can pass, have a little bit more um, – I hate the word balance. We can talk about that. I, I like the word harmony better because I'm not here. Like attempts, that's stupid. Like why would I attempt to pass and I keep like, Being complimentary you know, having any or whatever. Using one yeah. for the other. Always using one right. for the other. Yeah. Always. You have to create a harmony between the two. I don't, I don't care about the attempts. I care about the efficiency and how they play off of each other and the harmony between the two. And so anyway, to me, they were like, forget this. We clearly can't pass it. We don't have the patience anymore. We don't have the time anymore to keep trying to do it. Let's just let Lamar go for it. Almost like the version of 2018, but with a year and a half of experience. Like 2018 was this thrown together. Let's see what Greg Roman can bring. And then you have a year and a half of that. We got to get to the playoffs. We're going back to that. Plus everything we've added over the last year and a half. And it was beautiful. Well, and in addition, and this is where people don't give Greg Roman credit. And I'm not saying Greg Roman is above criticism because Obviously, there are things that, that no he, he should be criticized, right? And we can get into those criticisms, criticisms if we want. But but there's so much of it that I want to get into something that's not talked about a lot, which is that, he, okay, we all, like, when we want to defend Lamar, we say, well, look at what happened to his offensive line, right? Or we say, look at the receivers he's throwing to. Those receivers, like, are, are like the 32nd talent in the entire, you know, NFL. 
look at, he lost Hayden Hurst, okay? That's all true. And you should be able to say that for Lamar. So if that's true for Lamar, why isn't that also true for Greg Roman? Why isn't it also true for the play designer who just lost his all-pro left tackle? Why isn't it also true that he lost his third tight end? That that's not, why isn't it also true that he lost and Nick his Boyle? And tight end, yeah. And his, yeah. And, his, and, so, and so, like, last year, the Ravens' run game was very different from the way they won with the run game after COVID because they were playing bully ball. People knew it was coming. It didn't matter. You had Marshall Yana. You had Nick Boyle. You had... Uh, why oh, am I forgetting Hawks, him all Bobby this Bobby Wagner, all these guys on defense. Oh, fourth and one. We're just going to run behind Marshall. Yeah, like we don't do. care. Well, the Ravens couldn't do that this year. Remember, the run game wasn't there. So in the middle of the season, Greg Roman reinvents a little bit this run game, and everybody just knows that it's run. They don't realize it, how different it is. That last year it was all compact in bully ball, whereas the second half he spread them out. He started stretching defenses more horizontally. Dobbins. Dobbins to the outside, Gus to the outside. Yeah, and then his counters, and then like all these things that he wasn't running last year, but you're not, but no, Kurt Warner isn't doing a video on that, you know? You know, so like Kurt Warner isn't doing a video of like wide receivers that were wide open, you know, like, hey, look at me. You know, you can put up, and again, what Kurt Warner said is true, but it lacks context. These guys, these national guys are not, uh, that's why I prefer like they don't see the whole film story. study. They don't go see to you guys. Go games. to guys. Yes, yeah. go to the guys that are watching the film. Every and single play. At it. Every <laughs> single play because you can cherry pick. I can cherry pick any coach, any player. Nine plays. I, I can, can make you make Patrick care. Mahomes look like the worst quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Five plays, if you want, you can do anything exactly. you want. You can twist exactly. it anywhere you want to tell your story. And the part that I want to add on to what you're saying as well is that those videos highlight. Okay. Greg Roman called the same passing concept a couple of times, but that goes into what you say, Sarah. There's all these young guys who don't know the, are admitting that they're running out of the huddle, not knowing what the play is. So you kind of have to run when you know they're going to execute it correctly. And then you're maybe a little limited when you've got Tomlinson and Ricard and Andrews instead of Andrews, Hurst and Boyle. And it's it, the exactly the limitations on Lamar are never given to Greg Roman. The the excuses that you give to Lamar are not excuses for Roman. He has to make it work. He's the coach right. and all right. that kind of stuff. And in a lot of ways, he did make it work. Absolutely. And, and it wasn't Greg Roman who, and obviously the Ravens don't make the playoffs without Lamar. So, you know, uh, you can see a tweet I put up today. I'm constantly, you know, pro Lamar. Uh, I try to put his playoff record in perspective that I think – uh, is very valuable, but but I have to call a spade a spade. And Greg Roman didn't throw the pick six. He didn't he didn't stare down that receiver. Greg Roman didn't on the play before miss the blocks. You know Phillips and Dobbins when when there's a streaking Hollywood Brown in the passing game. By the way, nobody you know did Kurt Warner notice that one? You know that like he's wide open. There's two, there two guys open. Yeah, and he schemed yeah. that to perfection, but they didn't make the blocks. And so, you know, Greg Roman, you know, wasn't, wasn't throwing in the wind, like all that kind of stuff. So, so, so it's easy. You kind of, it's people always want a narrative. I was asked on a, on a podcast I was on last week, what, what's been the problem in all three playoff games? And I'm like, no, dude, that's the problem. It was a different reason for every loss. The first one is that you had just played the chargers and Marty Morningwood didn't change a thing. And you have a rookie quarterback that had played seven games. The next one, King Henry ran all over the Ravens and took away their entire game plan. They beat the Ravens doing Ravens things. Lamar put up a ton of yards in the past game. Uh, like, and like 130 on the ground. 
And so the, the Ravens went back to the Titans with the same game plan, but with a better front seven because they vowed they do it. They did it and they beat the Titans. And so like, so now, and this is what brings, this is actually what heartens me the most is I remember that the Ravens, John Harbour were like, we are going to address the front seven. He said, we might get three new players, maybe four, maybe five. And they did. And he came out this year. His very first comment was, we owe it to the offensive side to build up that side. We need to work on the passing game. He talked about screens. That was like, what? Like, you want to run screens? <laughs> like, I thought you guys were allergic to it. You know, he's like, I want to work on that. So again, they have more constraints because of COVID cap. But I really do believe that they feel like if not the, you know, the big money wide receivers, but I honestly think that they want to build up the passing game so that it creates harmony. And that if they're in a situation again, where they're taking away the run, that they're gonna make defensive pay, defenses pay. I know that they know that they have to do it. I know that it's their goal to do it. The question is, can they do it? Hopefully they do it just like they did with the first seven like when months. they put their mind to something and you say Harbaugh saying it, it's not just coming from Harbaugh because as we mentioned earlier, Ozzy and Eric and Steve and John are all on the same page. They They're partners. Yes, exactly. So it, it all yeah. comes. It's in harmony. As you mentioned, harmony. Is yeah. All, I'll hear people say all the time, man, we're, I bet if, if Harbaugh does this again, Bashadi's not going to stand for that. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I mean, yes, at some point, Bashadi will have to say, you know, yes or no or fire or keep or whatever. But but I don't think they realize that those guys are talking every day. You know what I mean? Like, Bashadi's calling John Harbaugh, even though we don't see Bashadi. Like, Bashadi's up on everything. And so, and so, like, this isn't, like, some surprise to Bashadi, you know? He's there. He knows the strategies. He's, you know, he, he definitely lets them do their thing. Um, gives them a, you know, is truly lets them do their job, doesn't like hover over them, but also doesn't mean he's not involved and he doesn't know which direction it's going and that he doesn't agree with it. He wants to hear the plan, Mm -hmm. it seems like. And they do that Jupiter meeting and he wants to hear, where are we going? Give me, give me the presentation. I want you guys to be on the same page as as any job at any point. Well, and let me tell you this, how much Bashadi watches. And again, this is not him telling what to talk about. It's so funny. Kevin Byrne. Okay. So you guys know the show, um, uh, uh, unscripted, right? That, that we do, that we I did with them. They still do, and it's just a panel of debates, right? You guys have heard it tonight. I have a tendency to, to raise my voice when I get excited, right? I, I like yell even a little bit, okay? And so, um, so I, so I'm very passionate, and so I'm on there, and like that's just how I normally am, right? I'm on there, and I'm like, Mink, you're wrong, you know, and like you know, going back and forth. That's kind of you know, it's, it's, we, we, we actually put the questions together beforehand. We do questions specifically to make it, make you on one side or the other, right. because we generally agree with stuff, but you got to have to ask a question just right to be like, ah, I don't know, you know? So anyway, Kevin Byrne like calls me one day and he's like, Hey, can you come up? And I get up there and he's like nervous to tell me this. And little does he know, like I have a pretty thick sense too. And he's like, Steve Bishotti called me. And he was watching Unscripted. <laughs> and um, he called me up to watch while he was watching it. So not only watching the team, he's watching Unscripted, right? He's not just paying attention to that stuff. And uh, he goes, Steve had called me. He said, hey, Sarah's yelling. He's like, she's making great points. But if she stops yelling, like, I think it'll be better received. Well, Kevin thought, well, the owner doesn't really care. He probably just like it was on his mind because we were already on the phone and he happened, you know, whatever. Right. So Kevin doesn't come and give me the feedback. Okay. He doesn't tell me. So I go back on the show and I'm still yelling in Steve Bushotti's, you know, point of view. 
So that's why Kevin finally called me. He's like, look, Sarah, I'm so sorry. I should have just told you. He goes, but he watched the show again the very next week. And he calls me up and he goes, Kevin, she's still yelling. Why? And Kevin's like, well, that's not her fault. He's like, let me give her some of the feedback or whatever. So clearly, though, I, I obviously haven't totally taken the feedback because I get so passionate. I don't even notice what I'm doing sometimes. But my point is, Steve Bashotti is watching everything, everything. He just doesn't want to be the one talking or in front of the cameras. Yeah, we can. He's definitely a listener of the show. I can just feel it. But uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, it's funny. That, like, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I was just going to say I've been like looking for a second to jump in here and let you know this is like some Atticus Finch level stuff. I know you're just like in the trenches on Twitter and you're super passionate about all this. It's pretty great. And you've done an Atticus awesome job. Is a great <laughs> you've done like you've done an awesome job, like hitting all our talking points. Like we've had all this stuff written down. We've just been jumping around because you're hitting all of it. And we did yeah. have a, a couple things there, but you pretty much covered it. So the last two that we had there, I'll combine them for you. You mentioned John and Eric a little bit there. What is one thing from each of those guys? I'm not sure how well you necessarily know them personally, but maybe professionally, personally, if you can, what is one thing you would want to impress upon uh, fans of John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta? Uh, that right. we might Eric not understand Eric about DaCosta, them. Eric DaCosta is a prankster. He mm. is constantly doing pranks, and usually it's on Pat Moriarty, <laughs> who <laughs> who, um, who runs the, the salary cap. Right. And um, it's hilarious. There were so many times where Pat Moriarty would get up for lunch or something, right? And um, – and like when you're when you have the email with the Ravens, right? Like everybody has the same ending in their I don't want to get too close. I don't want people to figure out the email system. But anyway, you can send an email out to the entire company, right? I mean, so many times we would get an email from Pat Moriarty that you know Eric DaCosta wrote, but he broke into his computer somehow. And it was like the weirdest emails, <laughs> like just like from Pat to make it seem like Pat was like doing something weird or like whatever. Like Eric loves to have fun. He loves to have fun. Um, what's funny is when I finished my internship with, with the public relations, I told you I went into corporate sales, the scouts had asked me to apply for an internship that they had. And I ended up, at first I was like, it was more of like a, a secretary, not, not secretary, but an administrative assistant role, which I didn't want to be an administrative assistant. So at first when, when like the human resources director came up to me and said that they asked me to come and apply for it. I thought I just was like talking to her and being like, ah, like I was showing reservations. And the more I thought about it, I was like, what am I doing? Of course, like, like go work with the scouts. And if I keep my foot in the door, I can like get back into content or whatever. And so, but, but I remember going in and Eric interviewed me, you guys, this is for like a real job at the time. I'm only like one year in, I'm like this 20 year old girl. Like, um, he was so tough on me. <laughs> And now that I know how they interview players, all he was doing was interviewing me like he does players to make sure that he wants to make people squirm. Like that's their goal when they're interviewing players at the combine or at the senior bowl or whatever. They want to like give the tough questions just to see how they react to kind of like get a judge of their character and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't ready for it. I was like, duh, 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 duh. you know, but then by the end it was like, oh, I could see, you know, he's like, I feel like you could like me and Eric were just like, he gets lost in the moment. He's just like an everyday guy. Like he pulls pranks. And then when I'm in this interview, we were building, like I could, I could see me building off of his excitement and him building off of my excitement. Then before I know it, he gets up and he starts taking these huge binders off of his shelf. And he's like, look, Sarah. And he opens it up and like, we're going through things. And I'm like, what's happening? And I have no idea that he was going to be the GM of the future at that point, you know, but like 
he was so easy to talk to because all he just loves his job and he doesn't think of himself as like some you know elitist person yeah he's not an elitist and so like the fact that he could with me like as an intern start getting into the depth of it because he's so carried away by his passion from it like i love that about him in terms of i that's longer answer than you probably wanted john harbaugh you know so people listen i try to let my bias know up front uh, I feel like reporters should do that more often. Like, let us know your bias and then then say whatever you want or whatever. Um, Give us the I right really, lens to look through. Yeah, I really like, like, I have like, like heart attachments. I don't know how to explain it to, to John Harbaugh. I think he's one of the most incredible people. Like, well, first of all, we're both faith-based, right? I, I have a strong faith and so does John Harbaugh. And so when we start talking about faith, it like goes to another level, like, and you could probably hear it in our po- my podcast with him when we're just like mixing it up and like, and just like going off of each other. And so he is like, and I remember Steve Bichotti correcting me, like Steve Bichotti was talking about him as both humble and, and confident. And I was like, oh, what's that balance? He goes, no, he goes, I didn't say he had a balance between humility and confidence. I said, he has them both. Like, as if they don't, like those two things, he tried to teach me that they don't, they don't conflict. Like they can, they can exist uh, um, simultaneously, like the, 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 they don't, they don't conflict at all. And so anyway, John Harbaugh, like the vision he has, the way he, the way he like can talk to everybody, anybody off the street, Ray Lewis, Steve Bashotti, doesn't matter. He can talk to everybody. Like he, people don't realize, like people are so quick to like get John Harbaugh out of here if things aren't going their way. But like, they're like when players leave and they say, man, the Ravens do things right. Yeah, that's Steve Bashotti and that's Eric DaCosta also in the way they negotiate. But it's also John Harbaugh. When when players around the league are like, man, I want to go play at the Ravens, or when somebody like Matthew Judon, who knows he's probably not going to get paid the way he wants to get paid by the Ravens, and he goes out of his way at his final, what he thinks is his final press conference, to praise them, to talk like 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 the players never quit on John Harbaugh. COVID, six and five. The whole practice squad is out there. Nobody ever quits on John Harbaugh because maybe they feel the way I do. We're like, for some reason, there's some sort of like connection that I can't explain. Like he's just, oh, I wish I had time to prepare for that question, but, but I do have a soft spot for him. And, and almost after every year, I always send him a big email to tell him, you know, here's my, you know, congratulations on this or that. I can't believe you did this. And he'll email me back. And I try not to do it too often, but man, I love that guy. I think he's a phenomenal, phenomenal coach. And he's a big reason why that culture is so desired to be there. And then re- remember, the only players that get mad when they leave are the players that wanted to stay and couldn't. Yeah, exactly. Pollard, Pollard Ed Reed. And he and Ed Reed still have a good relationship, but they were upset because they wanted to stay. So just keep they that in perspective. They the centerpiece of what John Harbaugh is doing. They didn't want to run away from John Harbaugh. They wanted him to love him more. They wanted to be in the Ravens more. Yeah. Whether they wanted to credit Harbaugh or not, I don't know. But they wanted to be at the Ravens. And so you wouldn't do that if, if, if your coach was terrible, you know, or that nobody liked him. So he's, he's a phenomenal football coach. And I think the Ravens are lucky to have him just like he's lucky to be part of the Ravens. Yeah. Not too long an answer at all. And yeah, not too long an answer at all. And like, I could hear anyone who knows him talk about him like for days on end. I'm really fascinated by him. I love the guy I've, uh, defended him on this podcast and I've given him uh, credit when I think others have given him credit and when it's hundred percent due. And I think to your point, like I don't think you can have true confidence without having true humility and kind of being mm-hmm. self-effacing enough to kind of look inward and say, I don't always have the answers. And I think kind of his Renaissance in 
connecting with some of these younger players and kind of being a little bit more, a little bit more the goofy dad as opposed to like the drill sergeant that he was in like 2008, mm-hmm. 2009. I think has been really fascinating mm-hmm. and fun to watch. He's changed. He's admits he's changed, but he felt like he had to be that way when he first got there to establish himself. But now that he is, you know, uh, the established leader, he can be, you know, a little bit more loose. Um, but still, but man, the, just the way he he like my kids listen to that podcast. The older they get, and they're like, they'll say things like you know, attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind or like uh, just the way he, he like the, I love anybody that grinds. Nobody is as relentless as John Harbaugh. Like I, like he's somebody that you don't have to worry about getting stale because he is literally the definition of relentless. He is never, ever satisfied. And I don't care if you finish the season with the Super Bowl or a playoff loss, or didn't make the playoffs. The next day, he's attacking it. He's attacking it. He will never, ever stay in the same place. He's And people will say that he's afraid to hire coaches that will take his job. What? Like, he's 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 got he's got five coaches who have gone on directly from him to become head coaches, and you can count three more that had st- stopovers. Like, come on, you guys. Like, ugh. He's just, he's just, he's, he's relentless. He's relentless and he's inspiring. Maybe that's it. Maybe you have heart, heartstrings because he's inspiring. Can I give you one, one thing on Lamar before you let me go? 100%. One, yeah. One stat that I just put don't want to keep you too long. If you want to stay. Well, stay. I, and I, and I, this is, this is crazy, but okay. I, I just went in and I looked at all this because I, I hate the reputation, the label that's been given to Lamar on the playoffs. Right. Okay. So I went back and I looked at all 32 starting quarterbacks from 2020. Okay. I went back to all the the playoffs. Only five quarterbacks have advanced to the playoffs in all three seasons since Lamar Jackson's been drafted. Only five. Here's the companies in. Patrick Mahomes, who was six and one during that time. That's his playoff record, six and one. Tom Brady, who's six and one. The two goats, right? Big goat, baby goat. Okay. The other three to get in all three times, Drew Brees, who has a losing record, two and three, Lamar Jackson, one and three, and Russell Wilson, who's also one and three. So before we label Lamar, let's remember that there's only two quarterbacks who have a better record. Like literally, literally 29 other quarterbacks either have similar or worse playoff resumes than Lamar Jackson. You, you don't have winning records in the playoffs unless you win the Super Bowl. Now, yeah. we want him to win the Super Bowl, of course. It doesn't even matter how many games you win if you don't win the Super Bowl. You still fell short, ultimately. You, like, you still fell short. And there's there's three people in the last three years that have winning records in the playoffs. It's not Aaron, it's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not some of these guys. It's the two I just mentioned, Mahomes and, and Drew and Brady, who happened to win the Super Bowls during that, that time, two of the Super Bowls. The other one is Jimmy Garoppolo, who ended up going two and one. But is he a better playoff quarterback than Lamar? I don't think so. He only made it in one time. And so, like, before you label Lamar that he's, like, t- a terrible playoff quarterback, like, are you saying that people who didn't make the playoffs and therefore don't have a, a losing record in the playoffs somehow have a better playoff resume? Because that's dumb. And I don't want to, like, get on Kyler Murray, but, like, 
He's a guy who drew a lot of comparisons to Jackson. He's been in the league he's two like years. The better, the better Lamar Jackson. Yeah, basically. and he, you know, he's 0-2 in the playoffs. He's 0-2 for making the playoffs. So it's like it kind of reminds me of a thing with like LeBron, where people like get on LeBron for having like a losing record in the finals. It's like, would you rather him not go to the finals? Like, I don't know. And right. I, it might be a lofty <laughs> right. comparison, but I mean, it just it kind of rings true to me. Right, right. And so it's not to say that it's like not to be like it's okay that we didn't make the Super Bowl because we want to. It's more to say stop labeling him as a bad playoff quarterback. There's only five that have even made it as many times as him. And there's only two of those guys that have winning records. So let's, let's appreciate him. Let's give the, let's give this team another year. Let's get some pieces in the passing game and let's get better at what we do and stop trying to be a cheap knockoff of somebody else. The Ravens well, got this. The interesting thing that you mentioned too, is that, you know, people do want to do this sudden abandonment, fire the offensive coordinator, turn into something completely different. If you do even want to go that direction, why wouldn't you want to, you know, wean off of the running game instead of just flipping it on its head all of a sudden when you don't have the personnel, you're doing something historically well. Like you mentioned, building that system, we mentioned that system, the pipeline of the receivers and the passing game, it hasn't been there. So you basically have oak tree crutches of the running game to get the system in place and buy yourself time, evaluate yourself, self-scout, get the right personnel, the right coaches, all of that. So why do you want to go cold turkey on something? You're basically lifeblood. It's like taking the sunshine out of Florida, basically. Like, right. Why do you want to just completely to get make away? make New York from... or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it just doesn't make sense to try to do this whole 180 all the way over, disregarding what Lamar Jackson does well, disregarding what they've had success with, and – it's just the classic, the grass is always greener. The grass is yeah. always greener for quarterbacks, especially, and for coaches and all of these things. In the end, they're one of the most successful, like top five most successful teams since Lamar Jackson took over all of these beautiful things. And I, I am optimistic like you. I always, Jake and I as well, J just find the happy parts. They made progress this year. They overcame the adversity. And that was the thing last year. They didn't know, oh, they had the, they sat out in week 17. And right. all this, all you want the adversity? All right, we'll take half the team out with COVID and have them go play Tyler Huntley against the Steelers defense in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and guess what? They played a damn good game because, as you said, John Harbaugh is relentless. So they're deep. Marlon Humphrey is playing like a madman, popping balls out left and right, while there's half the starting defense is out because they have that relentless structure in place. Everybody goes to the ball. You go balls to the wall, full speed, everything you possibly can. And the structure is very sound. It needs some tweaking. But as you yep. said, easy with the labels and easy to dismiss a good thing are two yep. good takeaways there. Amen. Well said. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're running almost to an hour and a half at this point. Really appreciate you hopping on with us here. You use the term uh, relentless and inspiring to describe John Harbaugh. I would use that terminology to describe your appearance on this podcast. I feel inspired mm -hmm. right now to uh, attack Britain. this offseason with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. But uh, really appreciate you hopping on with us. Like I said, uh, before we get you out of here, why don't you plug your, uh, your social media, whatever else you might want to for our listeners here. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you guys. A lot of fun. Great things that you guys are doing. Uh, if you want to check me out, I'm mostly on Twitter at SG Ellison. Uh, every once in a while, me and my guy, Kadri Mishmail, will we'll jump on and do some I've, lives. I've watched like half of those at least. Those are so fun. Yeah, they're good. Have you? They are okay, good. good. Yeah. yeah, love I that love guy. Kadri is, Kadri is one of the most underrated people and players of the Ravens franchise and is fantastic. He's, he's so fun. fun. Such a nice guy, too. 100%. And he's so good at, like, um, yeah, you just love that player perspective, right? So we, we try to uh, compliment each other that way. So 
we do that. And like, I know that he's talked to me about maybe expanding stuff. We'll see what we do during this off season. But for right now, I'm mainly uh, there on, on, on uh, Twitter at SG Allison. Awesome. Well, thanks again for hopping on and we appreciate your kind words. You have yourself a uh, great rest of your week here and uh, stay safe out there. Okay. You too. Thanks guys. Bye. Thank you, Sarah. It was a blast. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ha 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 